Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, it's Mike Connell, and welcome to another episode of Hire the Smile, discussions about all things related to human resources in the veterinary profession. And as always, my partner in crime, Katie Arline. Good morning, Katie. How are you? Hey, Mike. I'm doing well. Thanks. So we thought, you know, we're trying to think about what's something we haven't talked about, what's interesting, what's top of mind. I think that's how we like to roll in terms of what's sort of impacting us. What are we thinking about a lot? in between podcasts. And one of the things I was thinking about, I've just been ruminating a lot. I've been doing a lot of reading lately and just reflecting is some of the challenges we have when we work with practices, whether we're doing HR, whether we're doing strategy, whether we're doing inventory management, what have you, is working with leaders who realize change is needed. But the disconnect is how involved the leaders want to be. Mm-hmm. And I know both of us have examples. Some of my examples go back years when I was doing a lot of marketing consulting prior to my going to do my executive MBA and that not having the leaders involved makes it hard. Yeah, I would say it makes it nearly impossible for yeah. sure. Yeah, It's, yeah, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, 100%. And I know we all as veterinarians, we all can think of like, oh, these are the best clients, they're engaged, they want to do what's best for Mm -hmm. their animal, if there's any kind of rehab or exercises or as simple as, you know, restricting calories, so weight loss, what have you. There's such a joy to work with and such great things happen. The flip side is you'll see the same fat dog every six months and nothing changes and it's awfully frustrating. And it's the same thing within a practice. When, you know, we'll do an employee engagement survey or they'll come to us and say, we have X problem. And then we start working with them. And I don't know, maybe Katie, you can sort of talk about how that doesn't work. What happens? Yeah. So I think a lot of the time, practice owners will engage with us. And like you said, they identify that there's something going on or there's some kind of a problem. And so we kind of get in there and start trying to put a plan together for affecting change in the organization. and. Uh, it turns out that the leader of the company, whether it's a manager, or whether it's a, a practice owner, is really not on board. So usually it's because they have to change something themselves about wh- how they're leading or what they're doing or how they're approaching their management of the practice. But having that resistance, and I can think of a couple examples where they almost become antagonistic to us uh, in front of the staff. And it's like, what are we doing here? What are we trying to achieve here? 
leaders sometimes don't realize that they have to be the change. And I know that's kind of a hackneyed term and that's something you hear all the time, but you do have to be the change. You have to lead from behind essentially in order to get your staff on board. I can't think of a place where we've necessarily been entirely successful, where the leaders of the practice haven't been on the bus with us. Yeah. You can't delegate change. Mm -hmm. It's an active process in all levels. So we thought we'd talk about that because it's frustrating because you'll be involved in organizations and the staff is like, yes, we need change. And they're so on board. And yet the leaders are, for whatever reason, and I think we can have a whole conversation on that, they're not wanting to be part of the change. So I guess the hope of this recording, this podcast is I'm sure people listening to this, they're interested in HR and they may realize there's change needed in their organization. And that is, let's talk about the role that the leaders, managers need to have. And so we have a couple of articles. The first one is from HBR. And these are not necessarily recent one, but hey, change is not recent anyhow. So it's called You Can't Delegate Change Management. It is from May 2014, Ron Ashkenaz and Rizwan Khan. And basically the first sentence says it all. Many managers, even at the most senior levels, don't fully appreciate the difference between announcing a major change initiative and actually making it happen. And they go on to say that announcing it is is easy. It makes you as the practice owner or the manager you look good. You're going to do things. There's a lot of challenges in our practices right now with retaining staff. There's a lot of, you know, we're busier than all heck, but it just doesn't magically happen. So what their argument is to make change happen, managers, leaders have to get their hands dirty, engage their teams to make choices, and sometimes confront colleagues that aren't on board. And none of this can be delegated. Anything to add to that, Katie? Yeah, I think it it was interesting in uh, they had a, an example in the article, uh, an anonymous example of going into a company as consultants and working with maybe management level, not leadership level, but management, line management, and how they would come up with a plan and they say, this is what we want to do. And we've done these studies and this is the data. And then they take it to the leadership and leadership was sort of turtle and they wouldn't really be engaged. So consultants go back and they do more data gathering and put more plans together. And it's sort of this endless cycle where, you know, you need the leadership to be there to say, yes, this is a direction we're going on board. Let's do it. What do we need to do? But if leadership is evasive or leadership isn't fully engaged, or like I said earlier, if maybe change that has to happen needs to start with them, then uh, it's impossible to get anything done for sure. Yeah. Unless you, you know, you have like incredibly empowered staff, but uh, generally in a practice where, you know, leadership is relatively weak, you're not necessarily going to have empowered staff. Yep. So the next article is change management and leadership development have to match with not sure of the relationships with these two authors. It's I know. <laughs> Ryan W. Quinn and Robert E. Quinn. So I don't know if they're brothers or it's just happenstance. Anyway. Some kind of Quinn team. Uh-huh. Well, if they're part of quintuplets, oh, oh I gotta stop. I gotta stop. I gotta stop. Okay, dad. <laughs> <laughs> so one major reason organizations struggle, same kind of thesis, is they treat leadership development and change management as separate rather than interrelated challenges. And we all talk about cultural change, how important that is. Cultural changes cannot happen without leadership and efforts to change culture are the crucible to which leadership is developed. So I think when you and I were talking offline, you like this article because they talk about how change management is how we develop leaders. 
Mm -hmm. I really like this. They talk a lot about how change management and leadership development are concurrent, like you just said. But essentially, leadership is, I quote, deviating from culture expectations in ways that inspire others to choose to follow. Something like change management or change in an organization is can be so huge and can be so formative in you know the next chapter in the organization's history that it's such a, an excellent time to develop leaders so that they can step in. Leadership, especially for somebody who's been working at a practice for a while, and all of a sudden now they're becoming maybe they're becoming a manager of people that they used to work with on the same level, but. It's really hard to make that step sometimes. And I really like how uh, these guys talk about how you can pick people who are your developing leaders or who you think have potential and have them reach out to people who might be affected by the change, gather information, understand perspectives, gather information, talk about fears, and then help people that are at their same level question those fears and come up with creative action. So ownership or leadership of a company, established leadership has to be there to give support, whether it's emotional support, because it could be difficult if you're trying to start a a major cultural shift, then they're going to need your support because it's going to be hard for them as well as the people that they're they're starting to develop their leadership with. But it's a really great opportunity to have, you know, you always say change comes from within. And I think it's true. If you can sort of seed people who are... change agents within the company and have those people be your people who are are moving towards a leadership or a management type role. I think it's a really, it's a really interesting synergy Mm -hmm. that can happen. Yeah. I was reading this article and I said, you know, what they talk about is a, they call it a top down, bottom up approach. And Mm -hmm. uh, the bottom up part is, as you said, it's the potential leaders and to engage in the process of learning and then the top down is going to be the the people that are creating the structures, the motivation for employees to maintain engagement in the change in the leadership development process. So I was just thinking of like, okay, how does how does that work well in my organization or in my experiences, and how it's worked poorly? And I I would say, obviously, when we we do this, we're uh, ambitious and we're excited about being leaders. We tend to be a bit top down. We have great ideas. We've read an article, we've gone to a conference, <laughs> we're like, this mm-hmm. is it, let's do it. And then you come back and you're telling everybody, we're going to do this. And they're looking at you like, and what should I drop off my plate now? Because I got mm-hmm. a lot on, or what might be a great idea, and you know, and maybe the outcome is correct, but the steps to get there may need to get some consultation with. Yeah, I think that kind of coming in and uh, it's funny, we've heard it a couple of times from practices we work with who they might belong to the VMG group and then they come back from like a VMG meeting and they're like, we've got all these ideas and the staff are like, oh God, there's the, you know, they're like, what's it going to be now? But I think thinking about- And I've been um, so guilty of that. I've been so <laughs> guilty of I wasn't that. naming any names, but you know, it's sort of like a crow, it's the shiny new thing, but I think you have to really evaluate- pace of change, how many changes you're trying to make, and what supports are there for the change. Uh, And and really having to get key people on board right at the beginning, I think is probably the most important thing or you're not going to be successful. Well, because I think having the people on board, as we're talking about it, the benefit of that, so you're the ambitious, excited leader with a great idea to do a, a cultural change or anything significant in the organization takes time. It takes a lot of resources. 
There will be hiccups along the way that we have to learn for. It takes a lot of energy. And it can also be expensive too, financially expensive, because creating new opportunities means you may not be paying attention to what you're doing or you're adding new software, new people, what have you. So relying on your staff, getting feedback from that bottoms up can give you a frame of like, you know what, we don't have the capacity. We're still finishing off something else. You know, can you give us till the end of the busy season for us to start thinking about it? Or if we're going to do it in January, we've got to be done by May before, you know, heartworm Mm -hmm. season starts. Mm -hmm. Or can we delay it or pause it for a while? So I think listening to those people uh, that you work with is critical. You can't do it without them. This is a really excellent segue into thinking about whether this change that you want to make really fits in with strategy or not. So I know at McKee Panel, you recently did some pretty broad strategy sessions with staff. Do you want to chat a bit about that and sort of what you uh, picked up from that process? Yeah. So we're coming out of the pandemic. Like every other practice, we've been hyper busy. We're challenged by attracting, retaining staff like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're at a great place right now, like really an exceptional place. But you want to prepare for the future and, and all the uncertainties that could happen. And so in the past, we would have strategy sessions and I would solicit feedback for, let's say, a, an office manager or a vet that's been around in the practice for a long time or a technician. And we'd, we'd have a, let's call it an informal group of about eight of us. And from that group, we would make the decisions. I think it was effective because they at least were the, they sort of had the ears of, and, and could sort of communicate the voices of the people they work with. So I think it was, it was good. But I think one of the things we've learned through the pandemic is being able to use virtual tools and collaboration. And so what we did is we have three locations to give some background. All of them have, I would say, different features. And so what we did is we did a strategy session actually with each of the practices separately involving everybody. So we booked off four hours in an afternoon I sent out some questions uh, a couple of weeks in advance so people would submit it. So we had some background information, but basically I was getting, we started off a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. I'm the leader of the practice. I don't practice every day. I don't, I'm not interacting with clients. I'm not, and my ears is not to the ground as much as I'd like to think it is. Mm-hmm. So by getting the feedback from people that are actually communicating with clients, other vets in the area, what have you great, fantastic insights. And so being able to do it, and some people were working from home, some people were off that day, we were able to use a a Google tool called Jamboard, which is free, that allowed us to collaborate. But all the feedback came from everybody else. I mean, I went in there with my own ideas, but the feedback I got from everybody else, it was much better, broader, better insights. And so what I expect to happen is as we're formulating this and and digesting the three practices and going, okay, what is in common between the three? What is needs to be separate initiatives between the three? Having the people who contribute it is going to be much easier to have them engaged in the process because this was their idea. We're listening. We're going to do it. Absolutely. As opposed to me saying, we're doing this. Yeah. I mean, you've sort of taken away that initial step of buy-in. Yeah. And they're, they're going to be on it, you know, just like we talk about core values and putting together your core values, like we talked about uh, two podcasts ago, you have to have the people involved who are actually working at the company to really get a good sense of, of what's going on. And, and then they're so much more likely to, to fall in line or to act in accordance with those core values. This is exactly the same thing. 
But what I need to do and, and what our senior leadership team needs to do at the practice is come back with everybody within the next couple of weeks to say, all right, we've digested it. Here's the plan. We're going to work on this in the first year. Like this is sort of like it was a three-year plan. Mm-hmm. And sort of give people a timeline because, you know, one of the things is that we can't do all this at once. <laughs> yeah. That's impossible. We are going into our busy season in another month. You know, we're not going to do anything major right now, but here's a plan and it's up to us to actually start walking the walk and doing what we say we're going to do. Mm-hmm. That was really helpful and it was just outstanding engagement. I think the other one too is that we're also, and we've seen this for a lot of practices and this is the pros and cons of it. And so well, I wouldn't say it's pros and cons, but this is where you have a great idea with great information. And if you don't use that information, why bother? So. Mm. we've done employee engagements. We've talked about this and we, I still think it's the most valuable tool to get a sense of what's really going on in the practice, how people feel. And as a practice owner, sometimes you, you when you get it for the first time, you're like, Oh, like you, your sense of how people are may not align with how they actually say. Mm-hmm. So you may go in there going, I'm the best boss. We're the best culture. Everything's amazing. I'm sure we're going to score in the 80s and then you get it back and it's in the 60s or the 70s and it's, it's crushing. Mm-hmm. But what an opportunity to make changes. Yeah, exactly. From the mouths of babes, so to speak, of things that you need to either look into or you know, you can pinpoint, is there a groundswell of an issue or you know, there are some isolated issues that we need to deal with? Are we living up to what we say we're going to do? Uh, and I think, like you said, it can be brutal. Uh, especially when you're like, look at all these things I do. And this is the thanks we get, you know, people criticizing things. But, you know, just because you think something is a great idea or a great initiative, or you think you're doing well, doesn't mean that others agree. So it's such a great tool for building transparency and building trust with the staff as well, mm-hmm. when you actually address those things that were brought up. Oh, it, if all you do is you listen to it and just implement a couple of things, the staff is just going to be so appreciative because you're, you're, as you said, you're listening and you're trying. Mm-hmm. But if you, uh, and too often you'll do it and then someone will just sit there and go and they'll find every reason why the results yeah. are wrong. And they just, yeah. then you're like, this is not going to work. Like we should just stop now because it's sort of like you're going to send in blood results for an animal who's got a condition and the blood results come back and it's different from what you thought. Well, you have two ones to say, well, the blood results are wrong. I'm going to keep on with my original hypothesis, or I've got to change my way of thinking if I want to do what's best for this pet. Mm-hmm. What's a better vet? Well, yeah. And I think that this is uh, an opportunity to separate those leaders who are willing to be self-reflective and, re- and sort of willing to do the work. And those who are sort of like, well, this isn't my problem. Like the, everybody's wrong. I know how it actually is. You know, there's some conspiracy that made everybody make up all these comments or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's definitely, we see both types of leaders when we present these, these surveys uh, and the ones that improve year after year the ones who really affect change in a meaningful way in their practice are the ones who sort of take it take their lumps recognize their role and do things to address what's been brought up mm-hmm. it's really not rocket science when it comes yeah, down to it exactly and then the other thing is too is just you don't delegate it you just don't come back mm-hmm. and say all right yeah you fix this <laughs> yeah you you go i'm gonna keep on doing what i'm doing you go fix no it doesn't work yeah you know, yeah so. leadership is key and it's like when we start thinking about any change in an organization, I guess the take-home message is if the leaders are not involved, don't start the change initiative. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work. 
Absolutely. As I said, I could talk all day on this subject because, I mean, as a leader of my own organization, this is probably the area where I've had the most uh, self-realization, my mo- <laughs> most learning that I've done. It's also the position where I have screwed up so badly. At the same time, uh, uh, by making some changes, I have seen the difference on the impact I've done on my own practice. And I, I keep on coming back to, uh, we talked about this a couple of episodes ago because we were uh, interviewing a lot of people. And I just think as a leader, it is such a responsibility that you're bringing in people to your organization. And we need to go into the mindset is that we want to make this a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. Professionally, personally, a place of work should not be where people go and cry, where people are feeling sick to themselves going into work, having sleepless nights, you know, and what we need to do as leaders is make that place like this is, this is good. This is where I want to be. There's enough craziness in the world. Uh, let's try to think of work as a refuge in a lot of cases where yeah, got some stability. I, I feel respected, uh, power over my life. That's a mindset we should be having. Absolutely. Well said. Thank you. So usually we'll do a win or fail, but Katie and I were talking before we started and I was just like, you know, this is the day two of the invasion of Ukraine and I can think about fails and nothing compares to that. And I just think it's such a horrible situation. And I just thought uh, a parting note is to think of all the veterinarians, the animal health professionals, the support staff who are probably there as we're talking now, having to deal with things whether they're driving around the country to take care of cows, dystocias, to small animal pets. You know, can you imagine we get freaked out when we have fireworks here Mm -hmm. and when you're in Kiev and it's being shelled right now. So I just hats off and let's have in our thoughts, the, uh, the people in, in, in Ukraine, our peers, our colleagues doing our jobs in those circumstances. Right. And on that cheery note, but it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's real. And I just think Mm -hmm. we got to think about that. So we will see you next time. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.